It is Monday, October 26th, and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Mondays and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at KOPN.org and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on Community Pulse, our host, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, is joined by Linnell Phillips and Kara Clovis to discuss recent research about how central Missouri counties are responding to the pandemic. Our host, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, is a local family physician and host of Your Health Matters here on KOPN. She joins us via phone this morning. And Dr. Alleman, good morning, and I just want to let you know that our guests are still um, not on the line, so hopefully they'll call in soon and maybe you could start with the numbers. Yes, I will start with the numbers, and I'll be um, talking while I'm also sending them a little message. So let's see if I can multitask it. I am going to put myself on speakerphone, so let me know if you can still hear me. Okay. Does that still work um, now to be on speakerphone? It's a little little far away. I think our listeners would have a difficult time hearing you. All right, so I will um, do it this way. So we are, um, just starting with the numbers, we are um, uh, experiencing an increase in numbers in Missouri, in the United States, in the world. Um, You know, Europe is joining us. I guess you should say the Northern Hemisphere. And then um, in in the United States, and especially in the Midwest and in Missouri, and we are seeing also um, an increase in cases in uh, central Missouri. We seem to be, Boone County seems to be spared a little bit, this uh, more rapid increase that's happening around us. Um, But we had, so we had over the weekend, you know, typically the Saturday and Sunday, Saturday is a a high case number and um, Sunday is low, but we didn't see that this week. Um, So 39 cases on Saturday and 43 cases on Sunday. And um, uh, uh, and Friday we had 83 cases. And then looking at, um, and we've now deaths in Boone County. So um, uh, Matt, looking at Matthew Holloway's Missouri data, um, we had on Friday, we had an, a record-breaking 2,745 new cases in Missouri. And um, he is noting that the state's official das- dashboard is several thousand cases uh, behind him and uh, several hundred cases of deaths behind his. And his numbers he gathers by contacting and going to the website of each county health department or city if this or and municipality and then I think that the Department of Corrections has their own um, uh, 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 database um, so he is gathering all of that but the state is you know went to a new system and it is now thousands of cases behind and then because so few um, municipalities or uh, uh, organizations, government uh, agencies report cases consistently on the weekend. Matthew is taking the weekends off, so then he'll he's doing some statistical averaging. So the cases reported on Saturday and Sunday, he averages and divides by two. I mean, he averages them. So we're seeing um, ongoing increases in our uh, seven-day average and in a longer-term polynomial trend line. And we see um, ongoing increases in, in death rates. So 
Um, if you, if any of you who are following Matthew Holloway's visual data on Facebook, um, initially, so his he's got two um, uh, visuals of the state of Missouri, and initially we watched the counties reporting cases go from gray, which meant they hadn't reported a case, to red, and then the entire state is now red. And then the death re- the death um, visual is a gray state with every county that's reported death um, is now shown in purple. And so we're now seeing the state go from gray to purple. And so we have very few um, counties left that are not reporting deaths. And then again, in Boone County, we have 16 deaths. Cole County is 20 deaths. Callaway County is eight deaths. And um, we are having an average of um, more than one Missourian die every hour and have for most of this month. Um, so the numbers are not looking great, um, the, and, and we are moving into uh, the winter time where people are going to spend more time indoors. We have um, reopened our schools, uh, elementary and uh, our elementary schools, in the younger grades, and there's a, a real uh, big uh, political push and activism push to. Uh, force the Columbia Public Schools to open their uh, middle and uh, high school uh, activities by uh, parents who are feeling uh, that the risk to not educating our young people in class is greater than our risk from the virus. And we also see upcoming on the horizon some holidays that that result in people gathering so um, I, th- I hear a lot of people asking about, like, what about Halloween? I'm like, oh, let's lean into trick-or-treating and lean mm-hmm. out of, uh, and let's get all of our holiday um, needs met that we can with outdoor, masked, distant uh, activities. And then um, uh, I think that it's time for some really hard conversations about what we're going to do for the winter holidays that we typically celebrate by gathering together like Thanksgiving and Christmas because I think those um, gatherings are going to just really be um, wind to the wildfire of uh, COVID spread uh, that we're seeing throughout the Midwest. So I wish I had like cheery information, but I am really sobered by our current reports. Yeah. Well, we have a tiny little bit of good news, and that is that our guests are on the line. Hooray! Dr. Allen, yes. <laughs> Welcome, Linnell and uh, Kara. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. And thank you so much for undergoing the last-minute technical challenges, and thanks so much. And it sounds like I can hear both of your voices, and that's a, a blessing. Thank you, Mallory, for getting us online. So, um Let's see. I wanted to start with Linnell, who's a friend of the show, um, our frequent uh, guest. And Linnell, I'm wondering whether, um, as a person who is working and studying public health, whether you have um, anything to add, detract, or correct me in what I've talked about with the numbers, or did you get a chance to hear it? Um, yeah, I was listening in, and I'm, getting, um, I'm Linnell Phillips. I'm with the Missouri Public Health Association. And yes, that was a um, as you said, a sobering review of our situation here. Uh, numbers are going up, um, uh, despite what you may hear from some um, people like 
our president, we are in this day not turning the corner. We are on the road to a um, tragic fall if we can't things turn things around. And the only thing I would add is, um, although you might have mentioned this, Elizabeth, how important it is this year for everyone to get their flu shot. Oh, thank and, you for saying that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the reason being is um, our hospitals right now, because of the increasing number of COVID cases, you know, some of those COVID cases wind up in the hospital. And if you look at the Missouri Hospital Association information, especially in central Missouri, we are really teetering on the danger zone in terms of capacity for ICU beds and and that is a really unfortunate situation going into flu season because usually we really need those ICU beds for flu season. So if they're already occupied by COVID patients, we're going to be in a pickle. So um, the more folks can get their flu shots, the better. Um, we can cocoon our vulnerable people with um, flu-vaccinated people and help control flu this year. So um, that would yeah, be the main you, I want to can- add. Can you summarize how people can get a flu shot? I want to tell people that um, until about October 15th, if people asked me, I was telling them to hold off a little on their flu shot because the best time to get your flu shot is right right now or last mm-hmm. week. Yeah. Um, and if I think there's some people who are worried that they might get exposed. They've been very mm-hmm. careful about staying away from gathering places. Um, so how do people get a flu shot in, in central Missouri? Well, um, there's lots of different options. I got mine at a grocery store, and then I got a $5 coupon and got some ice cream to reward myself. And so you can, um, as you're out and about running sort of essential errands, um, convenience stores, uh, grocery stores, uh, your primary care office, um, all offering flu shots. They're, uh, the state bought more flu shots than they usually do anticipating that we would be really promoting flu shots and hopefully getting more Missourians vaccinated. So um, there is a flu vac finder online uh, if you are having trouble locating a place to get a flu shot safely. But um, we, you know, obviously everyone's taking COVID precautions to assure that the flu vaccination process is safe. And certainly we don't want our flu vaccination sites to become sites of COVID transmission. I mean, that's that is not a thing that we want to happen. So everybody's taking precautions. So wear your mask and get your flu shot and um, reward yourself with ice cream if that works for you. And um, <laughs> and um, the, also check on the type of flu shot you might be getting. Um, 65 and older get sort of a high-dose flu vaccine and um, there are different vaccines for kids and there's a nasal vaccine this year. So um so lots of options for folks, but the main thing is to get get your flu shot and or get flu vaccinated. Yes, and many of the pharmacies in town I am hearing are willing to come out and do this curbside if people have a reason that they either have mobility issues or mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason want to avoid going into the pharmacy. There, um, yeah. If you call around, you will be able to find a way to get flu shots that will work for you. So. Do not use any of those things as a reason to um, delay. This is a lovely, rainy, 
snowy day, mm-hmm. and so you could. This would be a thing you could do today and get out and dash in and dash back out. Most most there people are go. going to be staying home, so this would be a great day to go out and get your flu shot. Yeah. All right. So, um, anything else that you wanted to to add before we start to talk about Kara's amazing um, research? Um, yeah, just a quick fact. So, a lot of folks realize that COVID is not as serious in our young people and our little ones, and but that is not the same for flu. So, uh, right. uh, infants and young children really suffer with flu. So, um, those kids in particular need to get get out and get the flu shot. Yeah, and, and even for people who aren't concerned that they might be hospitalized for flu, which I'm not sure who that is, but there's sometimes uh, people who believe that wouldn't happen to them. Yeah. It's just going to be so confusing. We already have, like, colds, and now we're yeah. pro- hopefully moving out of allergy season for people yeah. trying to figure out how to interpret the symptoms that they're having and uh-huh. do they need a COVID test. And once flu happens, it is not possible that I'm aware to distinguish between COVID and flu based on your symptoms. And so pretty much everybody who gets flu is going to need a COVID test, and everybody who gets COVID is going to need a flu test, and that is going to burden our systems, Mm -hmm. and the systems are already burdened. So please do what you can to prevent getting flu, including getting a flu shot. Indeed. Thank you. Okay. Kara Clovis. You have been looking at the local response to COVID. Can you tell me a little bit about why you took on this question? I can. Um, so I've looked a lot at, at um, specifically the, the LPHAs around the state of Missouri and kind of where they are with current funding um, from the CARES Act funds. Yes, and what is uh, and an it LPHA? I'm just going to slow uh, down. Local Public Health Agency. Right. Okay. Our health department. Yeah. Yes. So our local health department. Um, and it's been very clear after contacting multiple, almost we attempted to contact all counties within or within Missouri, um, that while some commissioners are working with our local health departments, there are many that are not. Um, and that's put a big a burden on these local public health agencies. They're not able to um, fund what they've previously funded, such as the influenza uh, vaccinations that they provide for free to the communities, the pneumonia vaccination, which they also provide, and other programs such as Safe Crib, STD, and STI testing. In addition to that, um, they've really been unable to help their communities in preparing with PPE, um, testing, free testing for the communities, free lab testing, and then as well as the education and kind of getting out to combat that. Um, I also know that one of the detriments that was identified by public health agencies with the lack of funding is the, the inability to provide adequate contact tracing, which we all know is impair. It's very important um, when we're looking at positive COVID tests and trying to find out where um, everybody else might be coming back to who may be positive. Um, So we're seeing that. Additionally, um, I know everybody is not a fan of mask mandates, or many people aren't fans of them, but after reviewing studies um, or dashboards with the mask mandate versus the risk zones that Missouri counties are in, 
it's pretty obvious that these counties, I believe there's 13 counties with max man, or mask mandates, they are seeing um, a decrease in their risk level for COVID-19, whereas the counties who have not initiated a mask mandate were once in maybe the yellow zone for their risk level for COVID-19. They're now in the red zone, and they did that in a matter of days. Um, so that's very disheartening to see that that is the way that Missouri is trending towards right now. So, so just so you contacted every county in Missouri. Correct. That's um, I worked as well as a few other MPH students. We worked to ca- contact all the um, public health counties. Okay. And so, and it sounds like, I just want to make sure I'm hearing what you're saying, is that many of these um, local health departments are not able to even keep up with what they've been doing in the past. That's correct. They're having to get into the reserve funds. um, If they're not receiving, even if they are receiving the CARES Act funding, they're not receiving what they're putting out um, financially. And so they're not able to keep up. They're not able to to staff. They're not able to buy the supplies and the resources that they need. And and are they are they actually having lower budgets, lower funding than they have in the past, or they just have this increased workload with the COVID response? They have an increased workload with the COVID, and okay. unfortunately, with the additional expenses that they were given for COVID nineteen. Um, they've had to use their reserve resources or financial resources they would have used otherwise Mm -hmm. to combat COVID-19. And unfortunately, they're not receiving that back. So, Over the the long term, our public health system in Missouri is terribly underfunded to begin with before all Mm -hmm. this. They were having issues with diminishing funds leading up until COVID and then this hit and now they're in sort of dire straits just just trying to keep their head above water but I don't I don't think they're managing that a lot of counties are just really mm-hmm. um, struggling with the contact tracing and all of the essential elements that need to happen and to address this pandemic. So talk a little bit about CARES Act funding and I, I'm not sure that, I mean, I think I'll, I don't know that everybody, it, it, most people are aware of Excel, and I'm not sure I even know, understand. So the CARES Act distributed money to the state. Is that right? Right. Correct. And so, so, like, we're talking about compensatory justice in my ethics class. So suppose, Elizabeth, you are the governor of Missouri, and you get this chunk of funds, and you need to distribute the funds in the most um, – reasonable way possible to save lives in Missouri. And so the governor decided to allocate those funds to county commissioners in our state, thinking that that would give county commissioners the flexibility to give, you know, obviously a substantial number, a substantial amount of funding to public health, but also to, you know, other entities in the county to um, help combat the virus. Um, what was not understood, I think, by the governor is that the county commissioners already held a lot of animosity towards their health departments because mm-hmm. the 
health departments are the ones that shut down the economy of their counties. You know, we have the stay-at-home orders, and they're promoting mask mandates and all of these things that the county commissioners think is um, not beneficial to the economy, where if you really think about it, what the health departments were trying to do was create safety and a safe environment so that um, our economy could rebound. So, right. And instead of being mad at the virus, they're mad at their health department. So, so this animosity existed. So there are county commissioners who won't give a dime to the health departments as sort of in a vindictive sense, I guess. And, and those are the counties that are really struggling right now. In and addition, I believe it was 15% I am, of, go sorry, ahead. No, go ahead. 15% of CARES Act funding um, for each county was potentially to be allotted towards the public health department mm-hmm. itself. Um, and then I also think that, um, especially county commissioners, they need to, to see the picture as um, if we don't combat and get on COVID-19 and really support our local public health agencies, we're going to be back to where we were in the beginning and we're going to be shutting down again. So to support these public health agencies is going to keep us potentially from doing that. Otherwise, we're going to be chasing our tail over and over again. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's not just that um, the shutdown happens because the public health officer shuts things down. The shutdown Mm -hmm. happens when people are justifiably um, wanting to avoid getting sick, and so they are staying away from businesses like restaurants and coffee shops and bars and grocery stores and farmer's markets. So, you know, the the director of the Columbia Farmer's Market was on the show months ago, and she was telling us that the day after the mask mandate went into into effect for the city of Columbia, um, Mm -hmm. they had a, a measurable dramatic increase in the number of people who went to the farmer's market. So um, I I think that we probably all agree that what we want is to keep everybody safe and have a a vibrant economy. Right. And I I think we're just disagreeing about how to get there. Yeah, I feel like we've sort of gotten Mm -hmm. used to things around here in Columbia. I mean, we wear our face coverings. We stay six feet apart. I mean, I, I think, honestly, the hardest part is the social gathering limitations. And, you know, I miss my crowded church and I miss my um, going out to hear music and things like that. But, um, but you know, I mean, we're doing workarounds and we're figuring it out and we can function safely in Columbia, but other counties are really resistant to this. And, you know, it's, it's part of our device of nature right now, but I wish that, that people would realize, you know, it's, it's not so bad and boy, you feel a lot safer. So how much money are the were the counties given? Some counties have received um are the county commissioners themselves? Yeah, like how much how much money like for example a county like Boone County, how much money were the the commissioners given to to distribute? Linnell, do you know that number off the top of your head? I know that number off the top of my head. It was really variable depending on the population of the county. Right. So it's hard for us to um, come up with a, a general number. Um, but um, we know that 
what, Kara, 40 counties asked for that funding mm-hmm. and got exactly zero dollars um, from their commissioner. In some counties, I mean, we're not talking about them receiving one or two or even $10,000. We're talking about millions of dollars. Um, it, it wasn't, it's not a small number. It's a pretty significant number on what the counties had received. Yeah. I am also hearing that public health departments, in addition to having um, a huge burden to, of work to do and insufficient staff and funding, that they're also taking, and some animosity from, from <laughs> their uh, leaders in their county, that they're also taking heat from the public. Did yes. you look into that at all, or could either of you speak about that? Um. <laughs> Do you want to do that one now? Um, no, go ahead, Kara. Okay. Um, so local public health departments, they're really, um, I, their heart is in uh, really working to combat COVID-19 and putting the right um, restrictions or mandates or recommendations in place. And I think sometimes individuals may feel like their rights are being restricted and um, they don't necessarily understand why the recommendations are there or what the public health departments are trying to convey or get across. And I think that's maybe where some of the animosity comes from. Um, I think people like their freedom. I think they like to decide what they want to do when they want to do it um, and maybe feel like well, they haven't, um, they don't, they've never had COVID-19, so they may not even feel like it's real. Um, and the, the health departments are just trying to um, tell them what to do, which we know in the public health field and the medical field that that's not correct. Um, and, and while recommendations change and vary, and they may vary month to month or week to week, that we're still discovering what COVID-19 is. Um, so our suggestions may change, but ultimately, in the end, the main goal is to really figure out COVID-19 and keep these mortality rates down and the case rates down for each county. Yeah, there's been county um, health department administrators that have had to move their families mm-hmm. because of threats. Um, they've had, they've been sued, and um, they've been, you know, pretty maliciously maligned in the local newspapers and, you know, that's uh, definitely adding insult to injury. I mean, here they are. They're, I mean, suppose your main job is to protect the health of your county and you're doing the best you can based on the, what science you have and it becomes a very thankless job. And so I hope the listeners out here can um, be kind to their health department folks and uh, show them some kindness and support because they could really use it right now. What would be some, uh, what are some ways um, that we could show support for our public health department? Those of us who are just sitting here in our houses trying not to go out and spread the virus, but really right. um, sending, <laughs> sending a lot of energetic love. Are there some concrete things that we can do? Um, you could call your county commissioners and uh, make sure that the health department is being supported. You could write to your uh, legislators and say, hey, um, county health departments have a 
have uh, insurmountable challenges right now. We need to support them and just um, be a positive voice for public health in this state. Mm-hmm. I also think um, helping support, I know a lot of people maybe sitting at home have social media and just getting the actual facts out um, and kind of helping eliminate or alleviate the statements that are out there that COVID-19 is a conspiracy and that um, this is all government controlled and really providing, helping provide that correct information and um, the information related to mask mandates and um, maybe how that's helped decrease numbers in communities or how, how masks in general help decrease the spread of a virus or even advocating for the influence of vaccination. I think those are all great ways that anybody could really reach out and help advocate for their public health agencies. Well, Linnell Phillips and uh, uh, Kara, I'm forgetting your last name. Say it for me really okay. quickly. Clovis. <laughs> Kara Clover, right. Thank you so much for joining us for the, the uh, this morning on Community Pulse, and um, thank you to all the listeners for tuning in. Thank you, Mallory, for running the board this morning, and I'm going to encourage everybody to get your flu shot, wear your mask, wash your hands, take your vitamin D, and mm-hmm. cultivate a cheerful confidence that a virus uh, is something your body can handle, and we'll be uh, hearing uh, from Jenny on Wednesday. And if people want to turn into you, tune into Your Health Matters on Wednesday evening, I have uh, a recorded interview with Chris Link about um, some data about how some home way, ways to respond, prevent and respond to coronavirus with um, things we can do at home. Great. Thank you all for a great discussion. That's it for Community Pulse today. Thank you again to our guest, Linnell Phillips, Assistant Professor at MU and Extension Nurse Specialist with the Department of Public Health, and Kara Clovis, Graduate Student in Public Health at the University of Missouri. If you missed part of this program or want to share it with your friends, you can find it later today at kopn.org and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Catch us again live on Wednesday at 9 a.m. with Jenny Chadwick, and remember that we are in the midst of voting season. Make sure to plan your trip to the polls either on November 3rd or before. More information at vote.boonmo.org. Thank you so much for tuning in to KOPN 89.5 FM. Between the Lines is up next. Stay tuned.